Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. All right, it's my turn. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Um, I guess a lot of people feel that way, huh? If you look around, the chairs are all filled up and there's about, I don't know, 20 or so out in the common area. So if you notice the back doors, they, uh, they asked me about leaving those open. Hey, I'm good with that. Uh, listen, my, my prayer is that it wouldn't be a distraction for anybody. I like having us see some of their faces, not all of them, but I can see Drew and them. And yeah, they're waving at us from way back there. And uh, there's another 50-ish in the overflow room. And I got to step in there and, pray, and worship with them, praise them, uh, praise God with them for a minute. Y'all have heard them singing in there. Well, they had that room slapped full of praise. And so listen, um, I'm thankful for times like these because we're reminded he's not a God of convenience. You with me? He doesn't, sometimes in America, we want everything to be just like we want it. And uh, God says, listen, I, I never said that everything's gonna be smooth and easy and a bed of roses, right? And if little inconveniences mess our attitudes and hearts up, then there's a problem greater than having to wait to get out of our parking spot or waiting to get into our parking spot, right? And so uh, I just wanna stop right now and cause you to think about what's happening here. First of all, this many people would, on a, as hot as it is out there, as hot as blue blazes out there, isn't it? Would choose continually to keep coming and to be fed the word of God and to serve is an absolute miracle of God. And so why don't we give him a hand clap of praise as we get started this morning. He's a good God. Now. We, uh, we've been, we had an awesome time at our men's conference, the Transform Men's Conference. The ladies' conference is coming up. You need to be paying attention to the dates on that. They're going to be uh, going through the same materials that we did. Isn't that good? We'll be on the same page this year. They'll be being fed the same message. I'm telling you, it's going to be a phenomenal time, ladies. You want to be a part of that, okay? And so today, as we dive in, I want to encourage you, grab your copy of God's Word and join me in the book of Hebrews, New Testament book of Hebrews, Okay. If you don't know where that is, here's the good news. The Bible has a table of contents. And uh, it's only pride that'll keep you from looking at it. So if you don't know where it is, look at the table of contents. Nobody's gonna look down on you. Listen, we're just glad you're here. Amen? And uh, I know there's some of you who came in today and you think, man, I came to a place and all these people got it all together. Let me tell you what you don't know about us. We're a hot mess. Amen? And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, many of us have been born again. And the reason we gather is because he said to gather and we gather for help. We need the Holy Ghost to help us. We need the church's help. We need the scripture's help. And that's why we meet. And I'm so glad that you're here. Okay, so Hebrews chapter number four, chapter number four. Also, if you're our guest, look on the chair back in front of you. About every second or third one will be one of these little cards. And on that card is a QR code. And if you take just a second, scan that with your phone, it would give us an opportunity to minister to you better than we can in the little bit of time we have together on Sunday, okay? So please take advantage of that so that we can minister to you better. Hebrews chapter four. Now, some quick background on the book of Hebrews. 
there are a lot of opinions about who exactly was the human author of the book of Hebrews. I have my opinion. I believe I can support my opinion. There are others who have their opinions. I believe it was Paul with some help, probably from Luke. But if you have some time later, we can get more into discussion about that. Um, but what I want to do is tell you a little bit about the theme of the big part of the book, Hebrews, all, all in its entirety, and then try and narrow it down to the little, here's three verses we're going to look at together again today. And by the way, the preacher did good. Got him out of here and got y'all in here without traffic jams. Were traffic jams okay this morning? Somebody's like, yeah, you weren't standing out there. You don't know what it was like. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, so Hebrews chapter four, first, the big picture. Hebrews is a book that talks about the superiority of Christ over the angels, over, uh, he's talking to a, a, a Jewish audience and he's, there's a threat of them turning back to the old covenant, okay? And, and that would be to renounce Jesus and say the way to know God is through the law and the old covenant sacrificial system, okay? Now, I'm about to teach you something about your Bible that you may not know. The word covenant and the word testament are the same word. Oh, now you got your Bible figured out, just like that. You have the old covenant or testament and the new. There it is. And that helps you break it down, all right, in the parts. So in the old covenant, if I was to very, get very simple in that, I would say it was a covenant based in the law. And because man could not live according to God's righteous law, there also was involved in the old covenant a sacrificial uh, system with animals, a lamb specifically, but goats as well, and bulls and different things for different kinds of offerings. And there was a temple type of worship, okay? Y'all tracking with me? So let's imagine this morning the temple as we go through and look at uh, the examples of a high priest. You'll hear some words today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. But I pray that you learn something today that helps you understand Jesus better and the new covenant better, and it makes you leave out of here and want to be, here's the word, consistent, consistent, okay? So uh, without any further ado, I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me, and let's read Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 to 16. So the writer of Hebrews, he compares the old covenant and the new. He does it all through the book. He'll talk about the old covenant and compare it to the new covenant. He'll talk about something in the old covenant, like the uh, high priest, and he'll compare it to the new covenant, the high priest, Jesus. You'll understand that better when you leave today, okay? So in this particular passage, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, he's talking specifically about the high priest, the old one compared to the new, and the new one is Jesus, and you'll get that before we leave, okay? So let's put our eyes on and read together Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14 and on down through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain, help me out right here, mercy and find grace. And, and the reason we need mercy and grace is to help us. And specifically when we need help is in our time of need. All right, let's bow for just a quick word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, we understand the assignment is too big for us. To preach an infinite word through a finite being, that's impossible unless you do it. And Lord, to understand an infinite word with all of us being finite beings, it's impossible unless you do it. So our humble prayer today is that you would help us. Lord, would you help me first to preach this word, overwhelm all of my weaknesses and inadequacies. Father, put on display again today. You can use anybody, anywhere, anytime because you're God. 
And Lord, as you use me, would you also preach to me? Lord, tune our ears in. Pass the distractions. Pass maybe in the hallway, doors opening and children. Oh, it's all part of it. Lord, don't let us complain or be distracted. God, I pray we'd have laser focus sitting on the front edge of our seat. And Lord, may you speak to us as a daddy speaks to his children one-on-one. Speak life to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the word I introduced to you is the title of our message is simply the word consistent. A number of years ago, a man who's very well known, if I was to call his name, you'd probably have heard of him. He was in his 90s at the time, and he had a, a global ministry. God has allowed him to minister all around the world. And a younger man came to him, and they were doing some traveling together, and the younger man said to him, hey, you know, you've lived a long life, 95 years. By the way, that's a lot of sunrises and sunsets, isn't it? Huh? Think about that. 95 times 36. You just do the math on that. That dude was here for a while. <clears throat> and as he's living 95 years, the young man says, based on your life and, and how God has used you, and you've not morally failed, you've not defamed Jesus' name, not a perfect man, but you've, you've been steady. You know, y- your life it really shows the example of Jesus. He said, what one word would you give to a younger man like myself in the faith? Now, you would expect with a question like that, that's a big, how many of you agree that's a pretty big question? Uh, because what does he have to evaluate? 95 years of experience, 95 years of, of life, 95 years of, of traveling, 95 years of living, 95 years of mountaintops and valleys and everything in between. And he did, but he didn't. It didn't take him long. Immediately, he said, oh, that's easy. He said, it's the word consistent. And so he said, consistency in the life of a follower of Christ is absolutely paramount, okay? Now, have you ever dealt with anybody or anything that was inconsistent? Huh? Uh, I was talking to a man not too long ago, and he was struggling with some physical ailments, and so they were testing some levels in his blood to prove whether he had this particular thing or not. Well, they would take the test on Monday, and the numbers would come out, and they'd take the same blood test on Tuesday, and it would, the numbers would be different, and they would tell him he had this, and they'd take the blood again on Wednesday, and his numbers said that, and so they told him they were leaning towards this, and finally, they said, we really can't give you a diagnosis because all the numbers are inconsistent. Consistency is a very important thing. What does it mean to be consistent? Let me give you a quick definition. Consistent means unchanging in nature. Unchanging in nature. Unchanging in standard. Unchanging in effect over a long period of time. Unchanging in nature, standard, or effect. Now, let me give you a couple of words that mean the same thing. You ready? Here they are. Steady. Right? Uh, Unwavering. Stable. Okay, here's another one. Constant. So when you began to think about, let me ask you this. So maybe there have been times when uh, you were trusting someone to do what they said they were going to do, and then when you trusted them to do what they said they were going to do, they didn't do it, and you found out that they were, in fact, inconsistent. And it changed everything. And it cost you something, maybe. And so maybe it is that you look to your parents to be consistent. Some of you in here had parents that really didn't run well for one reason or another. Maybe they harmed you, they abused you. They were inconsistent in their role as parents assigned to them by God. And you would agree with me that inconsistency causes struggle in believing in somebody or something. Wouldn't you agree with that statement? It's hard for me to believe in somebody or something that's one way one day and another way the next. Consistency, very, very important to the Christian life. 
Now, I want you to think about how it applies to the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, passed down through the heavens, and took on the form of a man, well, a baby, who grew to be a man. He took on the form of a man, a human being, all right? And he did that in order to show us what God is like, to experience what we're like, but ultimately to down the cross as the one-time lamb sacrifice for all times. And whosoever, I wish somebody smiling here, y'all looking so serious this morning, that whoever under the sun would believe in him and turn their life to him would never perish, but have eternal life, a free gift from God in the form of his own son, dying and resurrecting from the dead. That's the good news. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that one of the greatest deterrents to the gospel spreading in the nations is the inconsistency of Christians. It's hard for the world to believe me and you when we say Jesus can change your life when our life is not consistently changed. So today, wouldn't it be good for us to dive in and find out about this word consistent in three verses? Would that be good for us? This is yes. Go ahead and say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Yes, going to be good, all right? And so here we go. Here we go, beginning in verse number 14, all right? Put your eyes back on verse number 14. I'm going to go ahead and give you what I'm going to call the main idea of the passage, okay? You ready? The main idea of the passage is followers of Jesus. Now, this is going to sound funny, but you hang with me. Followers of Jesus should be consistent in following Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? If I call myself a follower of Jesus, one thing that ought to be paramount in my life is that I'm consistently following Jesus. Not that I follow Jesus one day and somebody else the next, but I'm following Jesus consistently, all right? So, uh, somebody asked you, what'd you, what'd you learn? Oh, man, the title of the message was consistent. And I learned that a follower of Jesus ought to follow, we ought to be consistent in following Jesus. Man, that's simple but profound, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to look at four statements from the text, all right, about why it is that we should be consistent, all right? Number one, if you have something to write with, I encourage you to write some notes. Here's why. We believe Jesus to be the master teacher, the Holy Ghost of God to be the master teacher. We want to be master students, in order to do that, we need to write a few things down because we have a tendency to forget, don't we? I do. So number one, first statement, I want to just look at investigating, looking at followers of Jesus should be consistent in following him. Number one, we should be consistent, you ready? Because we have a great high priest. Now write that down. I'm going to show it to you in the, in the scripture, all right? We should be consistent because we have a great high priest. You know, motivation to do something is paramount to doing something. What do you mean? Say that another way. What you figure out you want to do, something motivates you to do it, the reward for doing it, uh, if it's great enough, you know what you and I'll do? We'll do it, right? And so, uh, I want us to look at that for just a minute. In verse number 14, we should be consistent because we have a great high priest. Now, I told you we were going to take a little tour in the temple this morning, all right? So we're going to imagine this sanctuary, this worship center, to be the temple. I know the dimensions are off. I understand all that. Just go with me, okay? I didn't have time to build one uh, this week, all right? So here we go. Imagine, if you would, that this was where you entered the temple here at the back, all right? And as you and I came in, oh, wait, most of us are Gentiles. We couldn't come in. Oh, wait, we're not Old Testament, Old Covenant priests, so we couldn't come into the, into, the, into the temple, that part of the temple anyway, right? Just outside of there, all right, maybe we, no, no, that is for the Jewish folk that they could come in. In between where the Jews could come in the temple as a part of the temple and where us Gentiles could come, there was a middle wall of separation. Somebody just had a verse come to their mind. And Jesus Christ removed the middle wall of separation, creating from two families, two peoples, one family in the precious blood of the Lamb. Isn't that good news? 
Now, the, the Jews could get that close. The Gentiles, us, most of us were on the other side of that middle wall of separation. And so let's talk about what happened inside of the temple. Inside the temple, there was ministry going on unto the Lord, all right? Who was doing that? It was the priests, okay? They're doing sacrifice, doing all kinds of different things, and, and stuff is going on. There's ministry going on before the Lord. And then as you got a little closer to this wall, being the, the far end wall, there would be a large uh, tapestry, a large uh, drape, if you will, uh, that hung down. And on the other side of that veil was what's called two things in the Scripture, the Holy of Holies, or oftentimes also referred to as the holiest of all. Holy meaning set apart. So you would say that the, that the temple itself was holy, but that that room on the other side of the veil was the holiest of all. Is that, are y'all tracking with me? Come on now, y'all gotta come with me. I feel like I'm dragging, I'm pushing a chain up a hill. Y'all gotta come with me, all right? I'm ready to go. And so now, the only one that could go behind the veil, does anybody know who? The high priest. Not any priest, one. The high priest, okay? Now, the high priest, because he was a, a man like me or you, also had sin in his life, right? Everybody born under the sun, apart from the Lord Jesus, was born separated from God and missing the mark. That's what hamartia, sin means, missing the mark. And so, because of that, the high priest would have to follow certain ritualistic things and cleansings in order to take care of, at least in the aspect of ministry, his own personal sin before he could go behind the veil and take and go make atonement for the sin of the people he was representing, Oftentimes, once a year, the Passover lamb's blood would be brought, one per family. Now, there were provisions for families that didn't have money. Sometimes two families would come together as neighbors and have one lamb, and that blood would be taken by the high priest. He would go behind the veil, and he would do something. But before I go there, let me say this to you. History or other writings, uh, apart from the Bible, tell us that most of the time, the high priest would have a bail or some bales somewhere on his outfit. Now, the reason for that was, now think about it, if the high priest did not go according to God's specific proclamation of being right before him, before he went behind the veil, does anybody know what happened to him? He died immediately. Boom, fell dead. Now, he, somebody said, man, that's kind of, listen to the lesson there. The lesson there is God is not to be rushed up on by sinners, you and I will never be good enough in our own thinking and doing to ever come into the presence of God. We can't, it's too holy. If you think that, you've, you're nowhere close to the understanding of how holy God really is. So, uh, this high priest, if he didn't take care of that, he went in there, and he, you understand the concept of the bell? What would happen if he went behind there and he fell dead? Well, you and I might be out there or in here ministering or out there or on the, or the Gentiles out way out there, and we'd say, well, I hadn't seen so-and-so in a while. You know, I hadn't seen him. Well, maybe he's just in there. The Lord may just call a special meeting with him. They may just be spending some lot longer time together like he did uh, uh, John's daddy, you know. And so they're just spending a little extended time in there. <clears throat> but how would we know that he had died? Anybody know? If he didn't have the bells on, let's go that route. What would be the first sign that we knew somebody, something had happened back there? <laughs> Y'all like, boy, I'm so glad I came to church. The preacher had us think about a decaying corpse and the smell of that and Man, I was so encouraged. I don't know what all those people were doing there. There'd be a smell, right, that would come about that. And, and so let's just say that we smelt that smell, and we said, you know what? There's a smell back there, a bad smell back there. Who, 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 somebody needs to run and get him. Who's going? And we just, gotta, we just pull the veil back real quick, grab him. Huh? We ain't going. Why? We die. 
So also, tradition says that they also would oftentimes have things tied to them in some particular place, wrist, sometimes feet, and the purpose of that rope or thing tied to them was to drag the carcass out. Woo! So the picture I'm painting to you today is that uh, God is not uh, easily approached except by his acceptable terms. Huh. So the high priest would go in. Do you know what was inside the, the, uh, the Holy of Holies? Now listen, it was something called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you have ever seen Indiana Jones before? Huh? You remember that box, that big old, that big box? Anybody remember that? Uh, obviously, Hollywood. Uh, but uh, it was a quick picture of what was inside there. It was a large, rectangular-shaped box, uh, very specific design with large poles extended out, and there were, and it was, it was it moved around with them. It was a, it was a, listen to me, it was a token of God's presence. Now you say, what do you mean a token of his presence? Well, God didn't empty the heavens of all of his deity and glory and, and, and reside in a, in a box. You tracking with me? But he gave him a token of his presence. And just the token of his presence was so holy that if you walked up on it and you rushed up on it in the right, wrong manner, you, were, you, you, you lost your life. We were reminded of a time in the Old Testament when it's actually traveling and only certain people could touch it according to God's prescription. And the ark on the covenant was on a cart and the cart began to wobble and Uzzah reached up and tried to catch it from falling. You know what happened to him? He died. And so it's a very serious matter, the holiness of God. And man needed a high priest that could go back there and take the blood of those Passover lambs and sprinkle. Now, the ark of the covenant had a lid so you could take the lid off, and inside it were certain things, several things, some of those being a, a, budding, a, ro, a, bud, a, ro, a budding staff, crooked staff. There was a man in there. There was, today I want us to think about it, there was the Ten Commandments on the tablets were in there. And on top of it was the cover that was set down on top of it, and it was referred to as, you ready for this, the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Now remember, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now what happens on the mercy seat? The mercy seat is where the blood would be sprinkled. And God said in the Old Testament, that's where I'll deal with you. I'll deal with you on the mercy seat. By the way, the word for uh, covering, the word for mercy seat is the same word in the New Testament as atonement. Now you're beginning to see the picture of Jesus' blood covering our sin. And so as you, and Jesus being a covering for me and you as we approach God. Now, on this mercy seat, you had these cherub that pointed in, their wings pointed in, and the, the, the high priest would dip that hyssop in the blood. It was like a little broom, hand broom, if you will, and he sprinkled that blood, and the sins of that individual and their families would be held off, the wrath of God be held off for another year. And someone asked me one time, looking at the old covenant system versus what Jesus did in one time, what was it, how would you, I said, I heard it explained to me this way one time, it's sort of like making the minimum payment on your credit cards without ever touching the principal. Does that make sense? Y'all know you know what I'm talking about. I like that. Mm-mm, never had a credit card before. Yeah, yeah, all right, so... That was the old covenant, the, the once a year sacrifice blood, holding off the wrath of God till the next year, till the next year. All right. Now the, now, the writer of Hebrews said it was never possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of man. So this old system was just a, an in-between. And so uh, that would take place there. Now listen to, with some of that understanding in your heart, and I know you just got, you don't even realize, but you just got a course on, on old, old Testament temple worship, all right? Now not in great detail, but in some detail, enough for you to get today's message, all right? So Roman number one, you notice, we should be consistent because we have a great high priest. And let's read the verse, verse 14. Here's what it says, okay? Seeing then that we have a, by the way, not just a high priest, but we have a great high priest, that has, y'all help me, 
passed down through the heavens. And then he tells us who it is. Jesus the Son of God. Now, the second half of the verse is what we're supposed to do because of what he said in the first part of the verse. The first part of the verse, he says, we have a great high priest. And so all of his audience, they didn't need a, a five-minute explanation because they knew it to a T. It had been their whole life, generations of temple worship. So now, the writer of Hebrews is saying to them that we have this high priest. And so because we have this high priest, we should, and that's what he's gonna say next, and we'll get to that in a minute. So first, let's look at the idea of a high priest. Look in your Bible, turn forward a few chapters to chapter seven. Still here in Hebrew. Anybody having as much fun as I am this morning? When I woke up, I said, boy, I can't wait to see them put all this together. They're gonna leave out of there. They're gonna be people who are understanding the new covenant. And I was, I'm just excited because somebody today is gonna be saved knowing you have a high priest. His name is Jesus. Let me read this to you, okay? Hebrews seven, verse 23. Verse 23. <clears throat> now, what we're doing now, Roman number one in our notes, we should be consistent because we have a great high priest. Well, what is this great high priest? What's the, what is the, the big deal? Hebrews 7, verse 23, are you there? Look up, say amen, do something. I know you're there and I'll go ahead. All right, starting in verse seven. Also, there were many priests. Now, why were there many priests in the old covenant? They were prevented by death from? One high priest couldn't finish the race. Why? Because he only lived so long. And then he would die, and guess what? Somebody had to replace him. And he would live so long. And then he would die. Y'all, come on now, I know you got this. And then he'd go so long, and then he would die. By this third one, everybody's gonna get it, right? And he'd go so long, and then he would die. All right, did you know death is a one-to-one -one thing? You know, it's 100% mortality rate. There's only one. Uh, you, you listen to what the Word of God says. It's appointed for man once to die, and then comes the judgment. We're all gonna die. See, now you're wondering why all these people showed up out here in the middle of nowhere to talk about a stinky person dying in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and now the fact that I brought you in to encourage and tell you that we're all gonna die. But listen, the, the, the point of that is we need a high priest, and we need one that doesn't have to be replaced. Oh, so let's read again. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he... Now, notice that H is capitalized, referring to Jesus, our great high priest. He's already said that in chapter four. Because he, somebody help me out. Continue. Hey, the death he died once, he died once for all, and he'll never die again. Aren't you glad? And that means Jesus will never have to be replaced. And you'll never have to worry about waiting on the next Jesus. What's the next Jesus going to be like? You can always go to Jesus. He'll always be the same. He continues how long? forever. He's ministering as the high priest of his people forever and ever and ever. Boy, that's good news this morning. He continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. <clears throat> Therefore, he is able because he doesn't have to swap out. <laughs> he doesn't have to tag team. He doesn't have to tag out when his time is up. His time will never be up. You know why? Because he operates outside of time. And so this high priest Jesus continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. What is part of that unchangeable priesthood? He is able to save, y'all with me? To the, I love this word. It's gonna be a new word you're gonna start using and I believe this week. He is able to save to the uttermost. Now, how many of you use that word this week? The uttermost. Uh, the uttermost is a word that means totally and completely to the furthest place and back again and everywhere in between. Jesus is able to save somebody like Terry Fan. He's able to save somebody like Ryan. He's able to save somebody like Mason. He's able to save anybody. He's able to save to the uttermost. 
In other words, there's no one who's outside the capacity of the Lord Jesus saving them. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, saving them from what? And I'm glad you asked, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Saved from the power of sin, which dominates us, and the penalty of sin, which separates us from God. And the blood of the Lord Jesus and his high priestly role, he is able to save us from the power and the penalty of sin. You ought to just about be standing in your chair right now on your head. That's the best news you've ever heard. It changes everything. Jesus, the high priest, never has to be replaced. He came and he bled and he died and he rose again. And now, because he continues forever, he's able to save to the uttermost. I'll be able to tell my, however long God lets me live, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, and when I die, my great-great-grandchildren, if Jesus tarries, will be able to tell my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great, go on, head on, all, however far you want to go, that Jesus is able to save. Always. And it'll never change. Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost. Aren't you glad of that? Let me move on, okay? Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost, but it's only a certain group of people he can save to the uttermost. Because we're not born good. We're born turned away from God. We're born our own gods. We're born wanting to do our own things. And even the word of God says our goodness is like filthy rags before God. If we're to present like I've been good, God, to him compared to his holiness, it doesn't even register his goodness. And because of that, we need a high priest. Isn't that good? And because of that, we have, uh-oh, and we have a high priest. And listen to, what, listen to what he says here. So for such a high priest, listen, so though he was fitting, he, can, he saves to the uttermost, listen close, those, y'all reading with me? Only a certain group of people, because listen, we're not all God's children. Well, I made some folk mad with that last week. And somebody asked me, why'd you post that online? I said, to cause people to think. We're not all God's children. We learned that through the wheat and the tares. And people got mad at me, and I said, now, look, I'm just quoting Jesus, so it's really not me you're mad at. And I wish you wouldn't be mad at him, because though he points out the fact that we're not all God's children, we all can be. And it's because of him that we can all be. Man, my goodness, what a good Savior. Oh, we go on to say he can save to the uttermost those who come to God, not through good deeds, not through church attendance, not through selling all their deeds and giving them to the poor, but he can only save to the uttermost those who come to God, How? Through him. That's the only way. Jesus, through him. And for such a high priest, listen to this, was, uh, oh, I, I don't want to skip this. Since he always lives, and now I want you to get this, to make, help me out. Now, that's going to God on somebody else's behalf, intercession. And it's interesting to me that the picture is painted always between people. Sometimes they say, well, I know that Jesus is, is, is praying for me. And I say, yeah, I, I believe Jesus does pray for us. I believe he does. But this particular passage, that's not specifically what the intercession means there. It's applying to the fact that he serves as our high priest. And let me, let me just break it down in layman's terms so any of us can get it. What this means is because he died for us as the one lamb worthy of sacrifice for the whole sins of all of mankind. And because he rose from the dead, are you tracking with me? Because of his willingness to do what was necessary to bring me into right relationship with God, his presence in heaven at the right hand of the Father is my intercession. Because the risen Lamb of God, crucified before the foundation of the world, is seated by the Lord God Almighty, he lives, he resurrected as my intercession. Aren't you glad? He don't have to run over and go pray for you every time you mess up. His very life is your intercession. Boy, that ought to make you want to smile today, right? His life is your intercession because he bled and died and rose again. He always lives as intercession for me and for you. Let me read a little further. Are any of you getting excited about the high priest yet? Man, what else do you have really of any value in your life when you think about what Jesus has done for you? Intercession. He lives to make intercession. Let me go on. For such a high priest was fitting. In other words, no other high priest would work. 
It had to be Jesus, who was holy, harmless. Y'all reading with me? Undefiled. Come on, somebody. Separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests of the old covenant to offer up sacrifices first for his own sin. You know why he didn't have to make sacrifices for his own sin every day? He never committed one. So that's where the illustration in comparison to the old covenant high priest stopped sharply. They had to make atonement for their own sin. He didn't because he never committed one. No, he doesn't have to make sacrifices daily for his own sin because he never uh, committed one. And he doesn't have to make it, read a little further, then for the people's every day. He didn't have to do that either. Why? For he did it once for all when he offered up himself. He didn't have to keep making payment for you. He paid it off. The reason he said, to stay on the cross, which means it is finished, it's actually a business term. It means paid in full. The work, the business transaction of paying something off, it's finished, it's done. And that's what he did when he bled and died. Aren't you thankful today for Jesus, our merciful, great high priest? All right, so moving back, if you will, to the text, back in Hebrews chapter number four. Will you go back there with me? All right, Hebrews four, we said, number one, we should be consistent. Why? Because we have a great high priest. So you'll be able to tell somebody about this at work tomorrow. I know I learned about what I need to do, which is going to be what we look at next, but I learned why I need to do it. The reason that I should live for Christ, the reason that I should commit myself to him fully is because he's my high priest. He, he died. He's, he's the one, he was the sacrifice and the one who offered the sacrifice. His death and resurrection, he lives as my intercession. I'm right with God because of Jesus. So I should do this. Number two, what should I do in light of that? Number two, we should be consistent with our confession. I need everybody to look up here with me. I can see all, well, I can see all the way back there to Scotty and then back on that back wall. That's all right. So what I want to ask you guys for a minute to think about is the fact that we who are born again all have the exact same confession. Now I want you to think about it. And we who are born again, notice that he didn't say, notice he didn't say, we need to hold fast to our convictions with an S. Do you notice that? Y'all, please interact with me a little bit. Did you notice he didn't say, uh, holding fast to our convictions with an S? Yes. All right. Notice he didn't say, we need to hold fast to what our parents taught us? No, he didn't say that. He said one thing, same for them, same for us. Hold fast to your singular confession, singular. Those of us who are children of God, we have one singular confession. It's the same confession they had. It's the confession our brothers in the Dominican Republic have. It's the same confession our brothers in Ethiopia and sisters in Ethiopia have. It's the same confession they had in 1871 and the same confession they'll have in 3071 if Jesus tarries. Here it is. It's three words. It's found in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Here it is. Same confession across the board. One confession for every believer. Here it is. Three words. Jesus is Lord. I want you to write that somewhere right now, quickly, 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 because I gotta move on and you look hungry. It's gonna take you a minute to get out of here. So write quickly, huh? What are you writing? Jesus is Lord. It's the same confession for believers in this room and for those faces out there as I see Drew and Kaylena and all of them back there. It's the same confession for that large group of people in that common area out there. And I can't see, but I can almost see down to the doorway of the overflow room and you guys in there, it's the same confession. If you're born again in that room, it's the same confession in there. And for you who are listening somewhere in other countries right now in the Dominican Republic, I know Michelle, some of you are watching, it's the same confession for you. And those who be listening to the podcast later on, it's the same confession for you if you're born again. It's three words. Jesus is 
Lord. It's your only way to be right with God, for you to confess with your mouth after believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus is Lord. Now, why, why in the world would the author of Hebrews go to the trouble of bringing back to their mind that Jesus is this great high priest that doesn't have to be replaced, that was sufficient one sacrifice for all time, that he lives as our intercession. Why would he bring all that back up to lead him to now? What you need to do is hold on to that confession because we let go of it a lot. We're inconsistent a whole bunch of the time. Now, let me say to you that the confession, Jesus is Lord, changes everything, everything. Let me say that to you again. Some of y'all got it. You couldn't help but say amen. When you confess Jesus is Lord, changes everything. Everything. You say, good, I want to say that today. If that don't make everything lollipops and gumdrops, that's not what I said. But you have a new source of power and a new direction and a new vision. And, oh, it just it changes everything. Because that's true. Listen. Because that's true. It changes everything. Everything challenges that confession. Write it down somewhere. Because that confession, Jesus is Lord, changes everything, everything in your life challenges that confession. Now, if I was to ask you today, I look around the room and I, I said to you this morning, you know, uh, let me ask you. So if I said, hey, what, what do you think, how many times in a day do you feel like, Mason, do you feel like, don't answer, just think about it. How many times a day is that confession challenged? First, we need to determine what does it mean? Jesus is Lord. Seven-year-old gave me the best definition of that I ever got about 12, 13 years ago. I was seeing where she was as she was feeling called to give her life to Christ. I said, tell me, what do you, what do you think about when you hear the word Lord? She said, oh, that's easy, above everything. I said, let me write that down. <laughs> that's it, above everything. Now, how many times is that confession going to be challenged in your life? On the daily. You ready? More number than you can count. Let me give you an example. You wake up in the morning. Right away, your eyes open, and you get to choose what you're going to do with the first hour of the day. And it's going to be challenged because the challenge of your flesh wants to go get busy, wants to wash dishes, wants to get out in the yard, wants to go ahead and get the car worn, wants to do this, wants to do that, wants to do this. So if you confess that Jesus is Lord, if you're confessing that Jesus is above everything, then, the, then he ought to be first on your schedule of events. Not third, not fifth, not later in the day. If, I'm, if my confession is Jesus, it's gonna show itself in who I choose to meet with and talk with first. Anybody out there? I'm telling you, this faith is a practical thing. We think it's an ideology or a bumper sticker. It's a practical, I'm telling you, decision by decision, moment by moment. Now, let's say that you get up and you go ahead and you choose uh, to let Jesus be Lord of your first hour, and he's above everything else and you sit down and meet with him. Then, then you go out and uh, I'm telling you, this, this confession is gonna be challenged more times than you can. You go out to crank the car and it don't crank. You'll find out who's Lord of your emotions. Huh? This Jesus is Lord confession is not just a golden ticket to heaven. It's a confession that at every hour of every day, he's above everything else to me. See, the truth of the matter is when we were talking about inconsistent, you were thinking about somebody else. Uh oh, I just kicked that right off the stage. Listen, let me, let me draw you back in. Whenever we we're talking about inconsistent, you were thinking about somebody else. But the truth of the matter is me and you are way more inconsistent than we really care to think about. So we get in and we don't, and the car won't crank. Or let's say that it does crank. We get that thing cranked up, we get out there, and we realize that we only have about, you know, six miles to empty. 
it'll challenge whether Jesus is Lord in your thought life. And then you get to the gas station and you get in there and you hadn't paid attention to the gas prices in a while and you see what gas prices are, hello? And it'll challenge your confession. And then somebody cuts you off in traffic, it'll, cut, it'll challenge your confession. And then you decide you need to pick your radio station, what you're gonna listen to. It'll challenge your confession. Someone asked me one time, you think listening to country music will send me to hell? I said, heavens no, it'll just make you think a lot about it. If I get to choose who's first in what I sing about, because the scripture says more times than I care to, care to mention, sing to me. Sing to me. Well, I don't like to sing. Jesus is Lord. The confession, he's above everything. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to put the station on that which is singing to him and helping my mind think about him. He's first. He's first. Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you, the confession is challenged by everything that you do all day long. Why? Because when we hold fast to confession, man, God does some magnificent things in our life and the lives of people around us. Now listen, you got two major enemies working against you. You ready? You have one external enemy. If you know it, say it. Satan. Why is Satan working against you in the area of your confession? Here's why. When your life gets consistent with your confession, people around you get saved. When your life gets consistent with your confession that Jesus is Lord, people are drawn to the God that you love. When you become consistent in what you listen to, what you watch, how your attitude is, and it lines up with the confession that Jesus is first and foremost, people want to know what's different about you and how they can have it. At the same time, when in my life my confession doesn't line up with my time, my priorities, and what I do, all it does is help them discount the gospel that I teach. Oh, it's a very important matter, your consistency. That's why the enemy works so hard against you. But there's an enemy inside of you. Do you know his or her name? Self or the nature of Adam, a fancy term, Adamic nature, passed down from our original parents, given to me and you, and we were born with it. If you don't believe it, go check out the nursery. You never sat down and told your child how to be selfish. You didn't teach them a three-hour course on it. They knew how to do it pre-programmed. And why would self work so hard against the confession? Here's why. Self just wants to have fun at all costs. Don't care about who. I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So you have an external enemy and an internal enemy, and they're always working against this confession. What's the confession? Jesus is Lord. It's why the author said you've got to be reminded Jesus is a great high priest. He died for you. He rose again for you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Therefore, you ought to be consistent in your confession. That's good, isn't it? Did you get that out of those two verses? That's what he's saying to us. Out of that one verse, right, to, to rise up now. I've got to move on for the sake of time because some of y'all are looking at me like, dude, we got to move this thing along because I am hungry. All right? Number two, all right, we ought to be consistent with our confession, okay? Because it changes everything, it's challenged by everything. Number three, there are just four. Number three, we're going to hit this one quickly. Verse number 15. We should be consistent because, listen, our Lord understands us and gave us a perfect example. Now, they're going to leave that up there because there's a lot of words, and I just want you to write that as I talk. We're going to do two things at once. Is that okay? Yes? All right. We should be consistent. Why? Because our Lord understands. Listen to what he says here. I'm going to read it while you're writing. Verse number 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. If I was to put that in the positive, it would say this. We have a high priest who must sympathize with us. 
Why? Because he's been us. You know, from my perspective, I believe it'd be very difficult for me to worship a God who'd never been a man. I could see myself, because I'm tricky. Boy, I'm telling you, that old nature of Adam is slick. I'd be telling myself, I don't have to talk to him and deal with him. He don't know what it's like to be me. But boy, he stole that excuse from me, didn't he? Because he wrapped himself in flesh. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like people don't really understand you? Have you ever had a moment in your time where you had something you were going through or some feeling you were feeling and you felt like nobody really understood you completely? Would you raise your hand if you just felt like at some point, okay, most of us, I think most of us would say that. And so there are times in our life when you just said to yourself, I just wish people would understand how I feel or what's going on. And listen to me, there's always somebody who understands. And he's a great high priest. And his name is Jesus. And he knows what it's like, listen, because he left the throne, he passed down through the heavens, born of a virgin, a little baby in a, in, a, in a trough that he fed animals with, and that's the place he chose to come. And he lived his life here. He never owned a home. So if you've been homeless, he understands. And he never owned things, the material possessions of the world. So if you feel like you have less than, just look to Jesus. He understands. And he knows what it feels like to be rejected by those he loved the most and, and the people that he came to save. And he knows betrayal better than anybody knows betrayal. And he knows what it feels like to feel abandoned. Remember from the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he knows what it feels like. Listen to me. Somebody here says, man, nobody really knows what it feels like to be abused. Jesus does. They chained him to a rock and beat him with that cat of nine tails. He didn't know how it means to be humiliated. They spit on his face and slapped him, pulled his beard. They dressed him up. You don't talk about abusing somebody. They dressed him up like a puppet king. They put purple on him, and they gave him a grass reed to be a, that golden sepulcher that kings would have, and they made him a crown, a fake crown, made out of thorns and mashed it down into his head. You don't talk about abuse? And then he went to the cross, and he endured the, the nails in his wrists and his feet, and he hung in agony. And so we have a high priest who can, he understands us, except he did it perfectly. The word of God says in this verse, but was in all points tempted like we are. Temptation is a difficult thing, isn't it? How many of you ever faced temptation in your life? How many know you're going to face temptation today and tomorrow? And Jesus faced temptation. He knows what it's like, except he said, follow me and I'll show you how to do it perfectly. Now, I love the fact that he didn't do it perfectly and then point his finger at you and me and say, you worthless piece of nothings, I did it, you can't do it. But he said, because you can't do it, I did it for you. And I gave you an example to have hope that you can do better, you can walk closer with me, and I can help you live this thing. The confession, what is it? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my emotions. Jesus is Lord of my thought life. Jesus is Lord of my finances. Jesus is Lord. You see, it's, a, it's, a, it's one particular confession that he said, hang on to it, hold on to it, and we should be because Jesus, Jesus understands us and gave us a perfect example. Finally, number four. Can you believe we've gotten to the end of this thing? I didn't think we were going to get here. I really hoped we just had a little more time. Number four, in your notes, write this down. We should be consistent because there is help when we mess up. Now, I'm probably preaching just to myself here today, but in the Rare occasions, somebody else in the house might ever mess up. You probably hadn't yet, but you might somewhere down the road. You probably hadn't yet in marriage, but you might somewhere in marriage. And you probably hadn't yet in finances, but you might somewhere in finances. You probably hadn't messed up ever in parenting, but you might mess up somewhere in parenting. There may particularly be somewhere down the journey, some area where you mess up. When I say mess up, I'm talking about you become Lord and not Jesus. 
I do it, you do it. What do we do? What do we do? He said, we have, listen to how this thing's flowing. He started in verse 14. He said, we have this great high priest, and we do. And then in that verse, he says, because of that, we should do what? Be consistent. Hold on to our confession. Be consistent in your confession. Why, should, why else should we be? Because, well, he understands us, and he lived it perfect. But finally, let, read with me here. We should be consistent because there's help when we mess up. Read verse 16 with me, if you will. Let us therefore, now, I want you to imagine you're going to preach the sermon today, or you're going to teach somebody this message today, and see, part of my responsibility is to equip you. That's a part of the New Testament responsibilities of the pastor. And so I don't preach expository preaching verse at a time just because one of the reasons is because it helps you to be able to go through and study and learn it yourself. So as you're looking at that verse, where do I get, where do I get, there's help, there's one word you're looking for. There's one, where, where am I finding verse 16 that there's help when we mess up? Look through there and find the word. There's one word. Grace is getting, uh-uh. I'm talking about not getting what we do deserve. Mercy. You were right, grace, but I, did, I failed to tell you up front specifically that we've messed something up and we don't get what we deserve. So, so listen to what he says. Let us, y'all reading with me? Let us therefore come boldly. I don't understand that. Now, when we think about bold, we oftentimes in our mind, we picture arrogant. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not with our chest poked out. It's not, it's not bombarding the picture here is, well, I'm going to use an illustration from my childhood. Did y'all ever mess up when you were kids? And I, I, you, didn't never, you never knew if mom or dad knew. So you just did the thing, you know? And then you came back in the house, and mom and dad may be in there watching TV. And I always wanted to kind of be skittish a little bit to fill out and figure out what's going on if they know or they don't know. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So I used to find myself, maybe there was a little doorway in the hallway there. I would just kind of, I wouldn't just come right in there and get in my dad's lap when I was seven, eight years old, right? I just sort of ease in the doorway. You know, inconspicuous. Fill out the atmosphere, see how things are going. Y'all, anybody else do that? You know, you sort of look at the carpet a little bit, don't make eye contact. Just kind of, every once in a while, glance over, see, does he look angry? Does he look okay? You know, you just kind of ease in, you know, this is the opposite of that. This means you stroll right to the door as if you didn't do anything wrong. Even though there'll never be a time where he didn't know. That's how good Jesus is. That's how complete the covering is. That's how rich is the mercy and how deep is the grace. You don't ever have to cower out from under your bed when you failed God miserably and let go of the confession and your life didn't put on display that Jesus is Lord and you find yourself isolated and you feel horrible and you look down at the ground and if you're not careful, that isolation will compound. And so what he says we need to do is hold fast, be consistent, but when you're not, when you're not, come on through the door, come on in boldly and talk to God about it, amen, in prayer. Talk to him. Oh, God, I didn't hold fast to confession. I blew up. I lost my temper. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done. God, I looked at it again. God, I did that. And, Lord, here I am. And what he has for me and you, first is mercy. Now, do you understand mercy is, right to say, you know, mercy is not getting what you deserve. I'm going to give you an example. In life, if you punch somebody, you deserve to get punched back. Are you all with me? I went to Hickory. The guy talked about people dying behind the holy hose and punching people. Do you understand what I mean? I mean, that, that makes sense, right? If I came up and punched you, you're probably going to punch me back. So mercy is 
somebody punches you and you don't punch them back. They don't get what they deserved. It means somebody got your parking space and you don't act like a rascal. It, it means that somebody hurts you and you don't hurt them back. Mercy. I had somebody again this week ask me at the, at the uh, uh, cash register, hey, why are you so happy? And I love getting asked that. I start with mercy. I said, because of his mercy, I don't get what I deserve. And the person said back to me, well, you can't be that bad a guy. I said, you have no idea. I've broken the laws of God, which makes me guilty. Deserving of eternal punishment, but I'll never face it. Now, because God's a perfect judge, it's not because nobody got punished. Because God's a perfect judge, it's not, it's not because, listen, it's not because uh, he just overlooked it. You can't be a good judge. See, I didn't get what I deserve, but somebody did. And you didn't get what you deserve, but somebody did. And it was our high priest. It was the one who lives to make intercession for us. God gave Jesus what you and I deserved, mercy. We got mercy. But listen, he didn't stop there because, because he doesn't just not give us what we, what, we, what, we do, what we do deserve and leave us there just sort of trying to figure it out. But then he adds to that we can find mercy and grace. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. So somebody punches you, you don't punch them back, that's mercy. You buy them an ice cream cone, that's grace. Do you get that picture? So by mercy, I'll never face what I deserve, but also on the side of grace, I can come to him when I have failed and I haven't been consistent in my confession and I can come before him and say, God, help me. God, help me. Would you give me another opportunity? Would you give me strength next time to be consistent in my confession? Hey, how many of you can say today that you need to be a little more consistent in your confession? Anybody? Anybody would say that? Hey, what if today our invitation time, we just bowed our heads together? So I'm gonna ask you to do that. Will you bow your head with me out here, out in the hallway, down the hall? How, what if we start our invitation this way? We bow our heads together and we just, we do this. We declare that we need God to help us be more consistent. I think that's across the board. Wouldn't you agree? Across the board, I believe all of us could say, starting with me, starting with me, God, help me be more consistent. There are times when pressures of the world and pressures of busyness and pressures of stuff make you lose your temper, say things you shouldn't, do things you shouldn't, uh, turn to things you shouldn't. And we, we can come to him today in the midst of that and find mercy and grace to help us. To help us what? You know what it help us do? Hold fast our confession. You see, when you come to him in repentance and humility and expect forgiveness and mercy and grace, that's holding fast to the confession. Part of him being Lord means even when I mess up. Wow. Maybe you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be Lord. And as I talk about this, you may have thought that you're right with God because God loves all people and, you know, he, he, he's good and everybody's God's children. No, no, no. We're all born lost and separated from God. According to the scripture, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, he tells us in Romans 6, 23, that the, that the wages of sin is death. It's caused us to be separated from God. And if we die that way, we'll be separated forevermore. But God, who is rich in mercy abundant in grace, provided a high priest who was also our sacrifice. And Jesus, the Son of God, came, passed down through the heavens, bled and died and rose again so that you and I could be made right with God. 
Today, somebody I believe in this room, somebody out in the common area, somebody in the overflow today, somebody that needs to get serious and quit playing games and come to the conclusion there's no way for you to be right with God unless Jesus is your covering. And so today, wouldn't you, wouldn't you confess Jesus as Lord? Wouldn't that confession be your confession? Based on what he did for you, wouldn't you be willing today to confess him as Lord? Scripture says you gotta believe in your heart, but you gotta say it with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Come be Lord of my life. That's where salvation happens. You'll have to turn away from being your own boss. You'll have to surrender the reins. You'll have to get out of the throne. So simple a child can understand, but it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do is yielding control of your life. But I've never heard one single person say, you know, I wish I wouldn't have turned it all over to Jesus. You can do it in your chair. You don't have to come down an aisle to do that. Did you know that? Somewhere down the road, we, just, we decided people got to come down an aisle to be saved. You don't have to come down an aisle to be saved. That's pretty silly. Public profession of faith is baptism, not walking an aisle. So today, what I'd like to do is ask you this. If you're here and you've invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, if you feel like you need to do that, if you feel the Holy Ghost is drawing you to do that, I'm not going to call you down front. You can come if you want to at the end. But if you feel that that's what God's leading you to do today, would you, would you just be bold enough with heads bowed and eyes closed to slip your hand up? and acknowledge that. I see you there. You could just slip your hand up. I see you right there and right there. And the Lord bless you. Any others? Maybe out in the common area. If it's one of you or out in the, in the, in the uh, overflow room, you just would slip your hand up. Maybe, maybe the audience that's online in different places in the United States and even in, in other parts of the world, you might just put a little, a little, this me. Today, I made Jesus Lord of my life in the comments. Put it in the comments just so we can reach out to you. Now, I'm gonna say that the altar's open. And there are those who need to make decisions to come to Jesus for the first time and be saved. There are others who need to come to Jesus for baptism. You, you've been saved, but it happened after the time you were dunked as a kid when you really weren't, but you really gave your life to Jesus and it's not in the right order. And it's time for you to come and say, listen, I want to follow through in baptism. Others of you somewhere along the line invited Jesus to be Lord, but never understood that part of going public was your baptism and you've not done that yet. And I pray the Holy Ghost of God would stir your heart today to come and let's help you make that next step. Maybe God's calling you to be part of this gathering or to return to King Jesus. Brian and Taylor are down front. They're waiting to be a blessing to pray for you. Ladies, Taylor's there and Brian's there, guys, and I'll be down in just a moment. Tina will be down with me. Ladies, if you have a prayer list, you'd love to pray for you or an encouragement, something you need to, listen, we're here for you. However the Spirit directs, you respond. Father, we thank you for what you have said to us today. Anybody thankful for what he said to you today? Just say thank you. Lord, thank you that you said that to me today. Now may my life be the evidence. And Lord, make me more consistent. Make me more consistent in my confession. What is our confession? Y'all help me. Jesus is Lord. You respond however the Holy Spirit leads. Father, move according to your perfect plan.